Chapter 4 of Cordelia the Magnificent. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mrs. L. Sid. Cordelia the Magnificent by Leroy Scott. Chapter 4. Fortune's Other Face. Cordelia would have wondered even more had it been possible for her to have remained invisible in Mr. Franklin's office, and thus been able to see and overhear. The moment Mr. Franklin was back in his chair after seeing Cordelia out, he remarked in a slightly raised voice, "'Come in, Kedmore.' A door at the side of the office opened, and from a little private corridor that led to the adjoining office, there stepped forth a stockily built man of perhaps fifty-five with a pinkish bald head. His clothes had doubtless cost as much as Mr. Franklin's, but their wrinkled and baggy appearance suggested that they also served him as pajamas. Seen in repose, he looked a very unimportant figure, but those acquainted with the higher courts of New York knew that, given a case with a woman in it, no matter what its other ingredients, Josiah Kedmore would win that case before the most callous jury ever impaneled. His was the gift of the golden voice, the apposite word, the bugle call to tears. In the privacy of his partner's company, something seemed to have dropped from Mr. Franklin's face, nothing so tangible as a mask, perhaps merely that careful control which was his face professional attire. At any rate, his features were more alive, expressive, the toe-toned even, persuasive quality of his voice had given place to vibrant incisiveness. "'You got my signal?' Mr. Franklin queried when his partner was in the chair which had so recently held Cordelia. "'Sure!' It was a relaxation to Mr. Kedmore to be inelegant when the occasion did not require dressed-up English. "'Then you saw and heard her. What do you think?' "'That she's a peach!' Lord, man, I almost passed out when I learned who she was. Cordelia Marlowe. To think of Cordelia Marlowe writing an ad like that. Lord. She's just the kind that would do it. Worldly wise and self-confident. And because of that, as ignorant and easy as they come. Kenmore nodded his big pink head. Just so. Lord, if it wasn't for those swell schools and what they do teach and don't teach the dear girls, and if it wasn't for swell society and what it does teach and doesn't teach, where the dickens would we poor lawyers be? What? Lord. Then you think she'll do? She'll be a wonder, if you can manage her. You saw this afternoon's performance. I was as much surprised as you were when I learned who she was. I never guessed a real society person was behind that ad. Considering my surprise, I think you'll admit I handled her pretty well. Yes, that was clever work, Franklin. Damned clever. Lord, yes. But for a minute I thought your foot had slipped. When? When you suggested to her that Maggie the blackmail queen thing and she flared up. I had to sound her out, didn't I? To find whether she was already of a mind to go in for something of the sort. And when I learned she wasn't, I guess you'll admit I made a quick recovery. Yes, your mind is quick on its feet. Lightning quick, I'll say. But where did you get that idea, not hesitating a second of sending her out to that, what's her name, Gladys Norworth, and are being privately retained by Miss Norworth's trustees to make an investigation of certain matters? How did you come to send her to this Gladys Norworth person? You certainly had me buffaloed, and it still seems a mystery. If you listened carefully, you will recall that Miss Marlowe was the first to mention Gladys Norworth. 
I'd not even thought of Miss Norworth until Miss Marlowe spoke of her invitation to visit Miss Norworth. So I decided to send Miss Marlowe where she already had an invitation. Almost every rich family has a closet with a skeleton or two in it, and I thought Miss Marlowe might as well start with these Norworth people, where she has an opening, as with anybody else. It's all the same to us. Of course, I did recall vaguely a few things about the Norworth situation, and that helped. If Miss Marlowe doesn't find the key to the Norworth closet, or if opening the closet she finds no skeleton, then I shift her to some other family. And that's all there is to that mystery. Simple as taking a litter of kittens out of your grandmother's silk hat, after you've been shown how, commented Mr. Kedmore. You've sure got a brain, Franklin, up where some people only keep a custard pie. Thanks. You understand I don't care a damn about this Norworth outfit. That is, not unless something big is turned up there. What I care about is landing a young woman like Miss Marlowe. That's the big thing. Sure, I understand. But Lord, man, offering her 30000 that's quite a piece of change, you know. Seems to me you're mighty free with our dough. It's just as I told her. She will be worth that or nothing to us. And you know she would be worth nothing to us unless she stuck to her place in society. I suppose so. How are you going to get that money back? You let me worry about that. It's going to be easy. The tips she'll hand me, without ever knowing what she's done, about the things that are happening among her rich friends, why, there'll be a fortune in them if we follow them up and use them, right? But you can't expect to keep a girl like Miss Marlowe in ignorance forever if what she's actually doing. Lord, no. When she takes a tumble to the real game, how are you going to handle her? By that time, I figure she won't need any handling. She'll be willing to come in with her eyes wide open, provided we keep on covering up her work. Don't I know that sort of woman? The woman who's about to topple from her place in the big world, and who don't want to fall. New York, every big city is full of them. String those women along for a little while, keeping them just balanced at the top, and then they'll be willing to do anything to keep from going down. You know that as well as I do. That's been our experience. I know, but we've never before handled a woman that's had the real class of this Marlowe girl. Suppose when her waking-up time comes, the girl refuses to go ahead. Franklin's mouth tightened. That event will be provided for. If she refuses, she will find herself so involved, without knowing beforehand that she is involved, that she will not dare do anything except go ahead. Kedmore raised a hand. Say no more. Never tell me what you're up to. I'm only the vocal cords of this organization. I'll handle any case in court that you've got fixed so that the law cannot reach it. But it's up to you to do all the thinking and fixing. Too much knowledge is likely to be a damn dangerous thing for me. So let me have the bliss and safety of ignorance. All right, you needn't worry. And man, think of the other side. How much we'll make when I've made her what I want her to be? I tell you, Kedmore, I'm going to make that girl willing or unwilling. The ablest woman in this line that New York ever knew. You just see. I hope you do it, but it may be some job. I'll make her that, you just see, repeated Franklin, his eyes glowing. These ladies' maids who want to sell compromising letters, these women on the fringe of society who hang on by their little retail trade and scandal, all of them together won't be a tenth of what Miss Marlowe will be when I've got her ready. He became tense in his certainty. She's going to be a wonder. A year from now? It will take time. It will require patience and adroitness. But a year from now, and that girl will be everything I've said. 
I believe you, Franklin. <laughs> you have an admirable trait of putting your plans across. The pink head nodded slowly in meditation. But I wonder now. I just naturally wonder what your Miss Marlowe would be thinking about if she knew this minute what she is destined to be in a year. To this, Franklin made no reply. Of course she'll succeed, the heavy, meditative voice of Kedmore rushed on. But that girl had a look to her that does make me wonder. She's no cinch. It'll be mighty interesting, Franklin, watching how she develops under your hands. Mighty interesting. After his partner had departed through the private door through which he had entered, Franklin swung around and gazed down on the far reaches of the city, his brain feverishly exultant, eagerly darting into the future. Robert Franklin was a type of lawyer that existed ever since law has been practiced as a business, but which has only mounted to the peak of its success with the development of modern wealth, of modern society and modern business, and the rich opportunities these have provided. At the beginning of his practice, he had chanced upon a rather scandalous secret and had been paid his price for suppressing it. That incident had determined his career. Such money comes so easily and comes in such large sums. Money made by clients for helping them hide something. Money paid by clients for doing something illegal in such a way that the law, even if awakened, cannot touch client or lawyer. Money paid for a closed mouth. And it is all so very safe if only one is clever and careful enough. Today it was Franklin's practice to watch for every little domestic rupture among the respectable rich, to listen for every rumor of an indiscretion that might develop into a profit, to wait quietly for developments, collecting notes of every detail, adding to these, ever adding to these, until finally a crisis was reached in some affair in which reputations were at stake and in which those concerned were frantically eager for nothing to leak out and he was the only outside person who had all the dangerous facts. These affairs were his great chances. In such great direction had the main portion of his law business developed, as many a law business, in part at least, has developed. Such then was Cordelia's savior at the age of thirty-five, a perfection of his type, respected in his profession, and suspected by no one to whom he did not care to give his confidence. Prosperous, a finished man of the world, he wore and knew how to wear the best of clothes. He was a member of good clubs, and he was today far more ambitious than in his fiery early years. His practice of watching every chance, however small, every slip of folly and ignorance, every mistake of vanity and pride and judgment, had finally brought him Cordelia. He had never felt more exultant, more sure of himself than now. She was made to his hand, and of her he was going to make a wonder. Thus mused Franklin, who was accustomed to the belief that he could see into the far future and pull the proper strings to make that far future fit his own desire. But Cordelia, setting forth upon her mission, ignorant of the true purposes that had prompted her orders, was not more ignorant of what was to be the outcome of this planning and striving than was the astute, sky-soaring Robert Franklin. End of chapter 4